Support for this program is brought to you by Genentech, the makers of Abismo, Farisimab SVOA. There's more to explore. Discover all the data at vabismo-hcp.com. That's V-A-B-Y-S-M-O-H-C-P.com. Hello, and welcome to New Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. I'm Basil Williams at the University of Cincinnati and Cincinnati Eye Institute, and we have a wonderful panel here today uh, to speak about diversity in clinical trials. So first up, we have Karen Jang Miller at UMass Memorial Eye Center. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. And next, we have Kat Talcott from Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Thanks, Kat, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. All right. And then last but not least, we have M. Ali Khan from Mid-Atlantic Retina in Philadelphia. Ali, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Great to be here. All right. So I just wanted to uh, let the audience know that the goal uh, of this conversation is going to be talking about some diversity in clinical trials. We're going to be succinctly summarizing some of the journal pieces we have. Uh, we'll take a break and then we'll have a panel discussion uh, on those topics. So the first paper that we'd like to talk about is entitled Race and Ethnic Representation Among Clinical Trials for Diabetic Retinopathy and Diabetic Macular Edema Within the United States, a review. The authors are Nayan Sanjeev et al. And this was published in January of 2022 in the Journal of National Medical Association. So Kat, would you like to summarize this paper for us? Yeah, I'd love to uh, talk about this study. So this is a study that's out of VU and it's a review of all completed US-based interventional clinical trials that looked at patients who had either macular edema or, or diabetic retinopathy from 2001 up until 2020. And they used clinicaltrials.gov in order to find these studies. All the studies that, that they included had to have at least 50 patients, and they included a total of 25 studies. 14 of these studies were NIH-funded, and 11 of them were non-NIH-funded. Um, so overall, they summarized that in the DME population overall, Black patients represent 38% of these um, uh, patients, and white patients rep represent 45% of these patients. However, if you look at the DME studies, um, Black patients um, represent a whole um, lot um, less of these um, patients in the studies. So they only represented 13% of NIH-sponsored studies and 9% of industry-sponsored studies, whereas white patients are overrepresented in DME studies, representing 70% of NIH-sponsored studies and 80% of industry-sponsored studies. Um, they also looked at DR studies and found that Black patients represented 23% of NIH-sponsored studies and 11% of, of, of industry-sponsored studies. So all of these disparities were actually considered a sig significant, except for the NIH-sponsored DR studies. Interestingly, though, they found that the proportion of Hispanic um, patients did actually not significantly differ based from the estimated burden of disease for a diabetic macular edema. So overall, I think the findings from this study are really important and powerful, and they found that Black patients are underrepresented by a three-fold disparity in NIH trials for DME and a 4.5-fold uh, disparity in industry trials for diabetic macular edema. Um, and they found that in industry-sponsored studies for DR, that they're actually underrepresented by a 2.1-fold disparity. And so the conclusion that they sort of draw uh, drew based on these findings is that under enrollment of minority racial and ethnic groups in ophthalmic clinical trials has been documented in the past, um, but I think is sort of 
even though the NIH has sort of made efforts to ensure adequate representation, it's really, um, there's a lot of work still to be done. Um, and I'm really interested to hear the other panelists' thoughts on sort of this study and sort of what we can do moving forward as a, as a retina um, field. Yeah, so Kat, that was a fantastic summarization of this really interesting article. Uh, let's toss it over to Karen first. And what are your uh, thoughts on this article? I agree. Great summary on this really interesting article. I think it's really timely and important that it's introduced um, into our literature. Um, so first of all, um, I think that um, what was interesting that the paper brought up was there was, and I didn't even know this, the NIH Revitalization Act in 1993 um, was made to ensure that there's adequate representation of minorities within the clinical trials, yet still with introduction of this, there isn't it hasn't reached the level that it needs to in order to capture underrepresented minorities. And obviously it's still better than a lot of the private um, industry sponsored trials, but we're still not there yet. Um, and I think it's really important that these clinical trials do relate to real world experiences. And in order to have generalizability, you obviously have to have a good distribution of patients who represent um, the patient population um, of these afflicted diseases. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why I think anecdotally we know that when our real world um, experiences are inferior to the clinical trial experiences, since the patients just don't do as well. Um, and there are a lot of obvious factors, but I think this is a very important factor. Um, and um, I don't have a great answer on how to make sure that we, um, you know, ensure that we have the diversity that we need, but I think it's important that it's on everyone's mind and then hopefully that can improve moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely some great points. I'm looking forward to our discussion on that. So uh, let's bring in our next paper, uh, which is entitled Racial Slash Ethnic Disparities in Ophthalmology Clinical Trials Resulting in U.S. Food and Drug Administration Drug Approvals from 2000 to 2020. Sean Berkowitz was the lead author on this, and it was published in April of 2021 in JAMA Ophthalmology. Ali, would you like to discuss this paper? Yeah, happy to. So um, this was a you know, really outstanding paper. So first going to give a shout out to Sean Berkowitz, as well as uh, Sriji Patel and the team over at Vanderbilt to consistently do, you know, really great work in these kind of topics. And, uh, you know, their paper evaluated, uh, similarly, the racial and ethnic representation in clinical trials that led to FDA approval for drugs in wet AMD, open angle coma and diabetic retinopathy over a 20 year period. And similar to the prior study showed that, you know, underrepresented uh, groups remain underrepresented in these trials in regards to enrollment, you know, namely uh, Black patients, Hispanic, or, or these underrepresented groups. So they overlooked at, uh, overall looked at 31 total trials that um, led to FDA approvals for 13 different medications, and overall found that um, the second decade of the trial showed that uh, you know, the racial distribution of enrollment did change. So in the second decade, there was increased enrollment of Asian and Hispanic patients in AMD uh, trials, and also increased enrollment of Black and Hispanic patients in glaucoma trials, and also increased enrollment of Asian patients in diabetic retinopathy trials. So all of these things uh, you know, were promising. However, you know, there was also a decrease in the enrollment of Black patients in diabetic retinopathy trials. So certain gains were promising, but um, you know, continued overall uh, underrepresentation of specific underrepresented Groups, groups, including Black patients and Hispanic or Latinx patients in particular. 
And they pointed out that this enrollment uh, you know, disparity is going to worsen based on projected disease burden um, in the United States. So there's going to be continued overrepresentation of white patients in these trials and underrepresentation of Black and Hispanic patients in particular for uh, AMD glaucoma and diabetic retinopathy. So uh, they did this quite systematically. And again, we're able to compare the first decade uh, to the second decade, which I thought was uh, you know, very useful to, to show graphically. Yeah, Ali, as you just said, that, that was a fantastic paper and it was really, really interesting. That was a great summary. Uh, Karen, once again, you'd like to get your thoughts on this paper. Um, thank you so much. And Ali, again, that was a great summary and I think it is a very important paper as well. Um, so basically, um, I thought that what was interesting, the, the paper talked about um, barriers to research enrollment. Um, and then it's well studied in medicine um, and they talk about how their financial resources, transportation, um, employment, um, make it hard for people to come. It's a very rigorous schedule you have to follow when you come to clinical trials, you come every month. And so if you don't have the, um, the resources to, for, to help people with that, um, it makes it very difficult for them to be able to make all of those appointments and continue in the trial. Um, and then sometimes if the education factor isn't there, especially if there's a language barrier, uh, more specifically with uh, Hispanic and Latinx or even Asian patients, it might be hard to convince them how important um, it, their participation is in this trial and how potentially it could help them, hopefully. Um, so um, they didn't talk about, I thought they didn't talk about language barrier in this paper. So um, I was just curious to hear what the panelists thought about um, that particular um, point in trying to get a little bit more diversity um, in these clinical trials. Yeah, so I think those are some fantastic points, Karen, and we're definitely going to come back to that question uh, on language barrier when we come back from the break. Uh, so at this point, uh, we'll take a break. And for the audience, we want to let you know that when we come back, we'll have some more in-depth conversation with the rest of our panel on these two studies and some more information. Look forward to coming back and talking to you soon. Thanks. All right, welcome back to New Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. Once again, I'm Basil Williams, and I'm here with Karen Jang Miller, Kat Talcott, and Ali Khan. And so one of the things that we had just talked about right before the break, uh, Karen had brought up uh, the idea of some of the barriers of patients that speak a different language and how that can be difficult uh, to get them enrolled in clinical trials. So uh, Kat, I was wondering some of your thoughts on that and kind of how that works uh, where you practice. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And to be honest, you know, I'm not always clear depending on the study. You know, obviously at the Cleveland Clinic, we do a lot of sort of studies that are non-industry involved just within the Cleveland Clinic. And I know that as a whole, for most of those studies, you have to be English speaking in order to qualify for the study. Um, you know, I know when it comes to more sort of, um, you know, external studies, including sort of industry sponsored ones, um, you know, I know you need to make sure that um, there are certain opportunities available to patients, all the materials needed to be in their native language, and you need to have, you know, proper translator present, you know, but to be honest, I think that's a lot of, I think that's enough of a barrier to enroll most of those patients that if I'm thinking about all the patients I've seen in industry-sponsored studies at the clinic over the past few months, they're all native English speakers, um, you know, and, and so I think that definitely impacts sort of what patients, you know, are enrolled in these studies. And, you know, as a, as a provider who's not always sort of clear on what opportunities there are, you know, I, I, I admit to sort of that bias when I see patients in my clinic that I'm sort of talking to about studies. 
Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point. And I think that is really uh, a significant reason as to why we have some challenges in terms of uh, representation of enrollment. As a clinical trial center, you're trying to enroll as many people as possible. And when you have some barriers like this, it can be a little bit more challenging. Um, so Ali, I know that you have done some work uh, looking at uh, racial and ethnic uh, diversity in clinical trials. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that, um, especially in the context of these two articles that, uh, that we just discussed. Yeah, so I think um, I think we now know there's a good body of evidence showing that um, you know certain racial and ethnic subgroups are clearly uh, underrepresented, and uh, the question is is are there actual consequences for that? So you know can we really take trial data and make it generalizable to every patient that walks in the door? And I don't know if you can really do that with underrepresented uh, enrollment numbers. And I think that uh, is now becoming you know more and more apparent. So some of the research I'm doing is actually trying to stratify outcomes based on race in some of these phase three studies. And again, it's a little bit more difficult because the numbers are so low. We don't really know if it's just the numbers or um, if there's truly a difference based on, on race. And yes, these medications are all excellent and they all work and help our patients. But, um, you know, if you're really sitting across a patient from, you know, a different background, can we give them the stats from these studies and, and feel 100% confident that that applies to them? So I think there is now, um, you know, greater awareness and honestly, you know, motivation to increase enrollment so that we're not doing post hoc analyses and cohort analyses. We're actually getting the, the true answer from, you know, the randomized phase three studies, which is the best way to do it. So, um, I think just bringing light to some of these differences and, um, you know, doing whatever we can to, to really motivate our, our overall community for future trials to, to get those numbers up. And I think, Basil, you're going to speak on, on some of those efforts in, in a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think you make uh, some really, really good points. And I think this was also brought up in both of the articles uh, that even if you have representation according to the uh, census data, uh, you still may not have sufficient numbers uh, to extrapolate that data to, to kind of the population at large. And so that kind of brings us to uh, a study that is currently enrolling. It's called the Elevatum study. And the full name is a study to investigate furosemab treatment response and treatment naive underrepresented patients with diabetic macular edema. And it's a phase four clinical study evaluating furosemab injections for a DME in 120 patients who identify as Black slash African-American, Hispanic, Latinx, or Native American uh, Pacific Islander. And so uh, it's expected to complete uh, in March of 2024. And so we don't have a lot more to say than that at this moment, but it is a really interesting idea uh, and concept. And so Karen, I would like to hear kind of some of your thoughts on the concept of this study, especially in light of some of the things that we had just talked about. Thank you so much for the question. Um, so I think it is an important study to address what these two papers have brought to the table, um, that uh, we do have uh, underrepresented minorities in these clinical trials, and I think it poses a difficulty in generalizability of results. Um, and that makes it hard for us to sometimes counsel our patients, especially if the um, medications don't work the way that we say they would work. Um, and also it becomes a cycle, it decreases the level of trust they have in us. Um, and so I think it's important for this study to move forward and hopefully other studies will um, uh, you know, follow behind it and uh, do similar results too. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in the in the first segment, uh, you talked some about the difference between the patients that we have in clinical trials in general, and then some of what we see in real world patients, um, and kind of the difference in the disease process. And one of the things that's happening in the Elevatum study uh, is they're looking at up to 20% of patients will be able to have a hemoglobin A1C of 12 or less, which is a bit higher than what we normally see. And something that we understand often happens in underrepresented minorities where the disease might be more advanced at the time of presentation. So Kat, how do you think that will play a role in terms of enrollment and in terms of us actually getting data uh, that will be meaningful moving forward? And do you have any ideas on ways we can try and encourage industry who really wants their drug to get approved and show fantastic results, but, but also encourage them that we want to have a wider net of patients enrolled? Yeah, I think those are really important questions. And I really appreciate that in the study that they made the A1C um, like criteria a little bit more lax. Because every time I see one of these studies, and then I look at my clinic list and I've got like an A1C of 12.4, of like 11. I'm like, how do these studies relate to the patient I'm seeing in clinic? So I think that sort of making some of those criteria a little bit more lax will help us as retina specialists be able to use the results of those studies to apply it more easily to the patients who are sort of in front of us. I think you sort of asked the million dollar question is how do we increase enrollments of like underrepresented like minorities in the studies and industry sponsored studies? And, you know, I think part of that, at least I feel as someone who signs people up for studies is, you know, I always think about what is the patient getting out of this? Like what, if they are enrolled in a study, like what are they getting out of it? They wouldn't by just seeing me every month in clinic. And some of those things are like um, transportation for studies so that some family member doesn't have to take them to each visit. Um, I think about sort of, you know, fellow eye disease coverage, um, if they need injections in the other eye, sort of offering those benefits. Um, and on the one hand, it feels I don't know. It feels kind of wrong in a way to be able to offer all these like, you know, extras that patients get by sort of enrolling them in studies. But um, it, I, I think about it, at least when I'm enrolling patients that, you know, it makes it easier to sort of um, sh sort of show them about how they might get extra benefit by being in a study versus not. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are all really, really important things to talk about. And I think kind of mentioned in the study and discussed widely are some of the challenges that there are interactions with patients from these backgrounds and physicians, given some of the historical challenges that have happened between underrepresented groups in the medical community. So Ali, I was wondering if you can kind of walk us through some of your ideas on how to improve trust or have conversations with patients or what we should be doing as a retina community uh, to try and kind of reach out uh, in these scenarios? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, I guess, the billion dollar question if we're going to kick it up a notch. Um, but, you know, all of us who are on this, uh, on this uh, program here are pretty young. So none of us were really around for that generation of medicine, but uh, maybe our patients who are going to be enrolled in these trials are. So, um, you know, I think it's difficult. I think there's been a lot of things that have been brought up, you know, get more clinical research coordinators that are of the race and ethnicities that we need to enroll, get more principal investigators uh, who are of the race and ethnicity involved in these trials. And I think those are obviously good ideas. Now, will that actually work? I think we don't know yet. And I think that's something that we simply need to uh, try to be a little bit more attentive to, and um, it's going to take time. You know, uh, we've, we've all been in discussions or heard discussions about how we need to improve diversity amongst ophthalmology, or, you know, our physician force. And I think that's going to similarly translate to these, you know, PIs and clinical research coordinators and, and research teams uh, getting more diverse as time goes on. And then hopefully as our patient population may be 
one day approaches our own ages, um, that maybe a legacy of some of these things from the past will be, you know, less strong. And, um, you know, the language barriers and other barriers hopefully will be, will be better as well. But um, there's, you know, it's nothing that's going to be quick. I think all of these things need to happen, you know, in concert and, and slowly but surely the arc bends towards the right direction uh, over time. But, you know, Elevatum is an interesting, you know, there's pressure from industry to get their drugs approved. So you need to enroll patients quickly. And if you can't enroll certain populations as easily, and you know, are we holding up drugs that would be beneficial? So obviously we don't want to do that, but then we also want to make sure the drugs are helpful to everyone in a relatively equal fashion. And that's what this phase four study is trying to do. So I think we're going to see kind of these uh, different methods to try to get to a better place, but uh, ultimately over time, we're going to have to share what works. I mean, I personally, you know, know what might work in Philadelphia is different than what, what might work in Miami or Worcester or Cleveland Clinic. And I could say we could probably each in our own heads decide which underrepresented minorities we would probably be better at enrolling in our own communities. And um, I think those are just broader conversations that we need to be a little bit more comfortable making. You know, I, I do want to make clear that I don't think anyone here is like blaming industry or blaming the clinical trial designers for any of this in that um, they are the problem. I think all of us need to help come up with solutions and, you know, Genentech's, you know, funding a phase four trial. I think that's, uh, you know, a good start. And, um, you know, I think uh, there's going to be a younger group of physicians coming into this that I think uh, hopefully will push this forward even more. But uh, I think the, the momentum is going in the right direction. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, you raise a really good point uh, that this is not just on uh, industry. And so, Karen, kind of from your perspective, or if we're looking at the clinical trial centers and us as retina specialists who are enrolling patients, how uh, do you think we should be incentivized or how can we encourage our own centers or neighboring centers to think about this as we're enrolling patients in general? Um, that's a great question. And um, maybe kind of kicking it, I know that we talked a little bit about the, um, the language barrier, um, but having more resources directed towards that for people who do have a language barrier who can still be enrolled in these studies uh, might be helpful, um, which they currently, um, a lot of studies might not have right now. Um, and um, also maybe, you know, if you if there's a incentive to hitting a certain number of underrepresented minorities, it makes you more preferential site to be for the next clinical trial. Um, so the goal for a lot of sites is you know to continue on with that momentum, right? So having that as a you know good uh, check mark, and then moving forward, hopefully um, incentivizes people to uh, enroll more diverse patients. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think you all brought up some amazing points. And uh, I think, you know, this kind of discussion was similar to the VBS annual meeting. We had a discussion in the diversity of, of clinical trials. And I think this is something that the conversation is going to continue moving forward. And I think we are moving in the right direction as a field. And so I'd really like to thank you all for uh, making such great points and contributing uh, so much to this conversation and in your daily practices, uh, kind of working to change uh, the paradigm that we have currently as well. So I know that, um, you know, in the paper out of Vanderbilt, it was a little bit doom and gloom as to the potential for what things would look like in 2030 and 2050. But I think truthfully thinking ahead 
uh, and kind of working together to make some of those changes, we can uh, make it so that there will be a lot more diversity moving forward. So uh, thank you all for being such a great panel as always. Thank you to the audience for listening to us at the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS and stay tuned for further episodes in the future. Thank you.